Get psyched with friends, ladies, and amateur crushers, Morgan and Cynthia. Join us as we share personal stories from our climbing lives, our proudest achievements, our epic failures, and most of all, our borderline obsessive love of the sport. Welcome, Welcome to, to Crag Confessions. Confessions. Episode 8, Story of Send. So we hear a lot about the latest hard sends in climbing media. This climber established a new 514. That climber repeated a double-digit boulder. This team of climbers linked five alpine routes on some remote mountain, etc. And all those are amazing and inspiring experiences. But we thought, what about those everyday climbs that the average climber has a chance of experiencing? These are not the hardest climbs, and it wouldn't catch a headline to be the 100th or 1,000th person to send the climb. But we think to the climber that struggled on it, sent it, and remembers it, the story of that send is still an amazing story and worth telling. So we picked two climbs that we still remember. We are sharing the stories of our sends. Woo, story time! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so which did you pick, Morgan? I picked Moonshine Roof in Waco Tanks. And I know that you're familiar with this climb. Mm, Yes. But for the people who are not familiar, it's a classic. Five stars. Yeah, it's a landmark for anybody going to Waco, no matter what grade. It's just so good. I picked it because it's a classic that so many people know, and also because it stands out in my mind as one of the projects that took forever. And I mean, it's only a V4, whatever that might mean. It's like, it's a V4, it's so hard, or it's only a V4, you know, it's easy for you. But really, I think it's in a class all its own, you know, like, I feel like the grade is not what makes this stand out in my head. And I, I kind of think that my favorite projects are the ones that take forever, because I've been thinking about them for years you know, dreaming of how to send them. They've basically been living in my mind (laughs) rent-free. And then when I finally put them down, they become the most satisfying. This one started for me in November 2019. Oh, wow. Really long time ago. Yeah. It took me three sessions over two, a little bit more than two years. And in a sense, it's still not even done right now. What? Didn't you do that? (laughs) Isn't that what this is about? (laughs) I did, but there's going to be a coda. (laughs) Or I guess there's going to be a part duh to it. The sequel. Yeah. (laughs) So in November 2019, I met up with my friend John Inzanti, who is a guide based in New York City, but he's also a Waco Tanks guide. And he's been spending at least a few weeks down Waco every winter season for years So in 2019, I just had two days to spend in Waco, and I overlapped with John, who was out there at the time. And he was gracious enough to take me out to the backcountry with him and his girlfriend, Cassie, who was also there. And this was 2019, so I was pretty weak then. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I had been climbing for three years at the time, but mostly in the gym. And I think it's really crazy to think about how much weaker I was then, even though I think I was sending the same number grade in the gym as I am now. Whoa. Yeah, I think it just goes to show you that it really depends on what gym you're at and that grades don't mean shit and you can still be (laughs) improving even if, you know, you don't see that grade go up. 
it was it was the second day that we did a tour of East Mountain and the East Spur, and we hit up some of the classic areas, the gunks, the maze, and at the end of the day, Moonshine Roof. And I don't know why, but Moonshine Roof is always an end of the day thing. Like, why do we always go there at the end of the day? <laughs> Maybe it's like saving the best for last or just to make sure you're as tired as possible and you won't be able to keep it together on the roof. <laughs> but um, when I saw the roof the first time, I was flabbergasted. And at that time, I had never seen a roof that was as complex or as featured as this one. It's definitely one of the all-time best roofs, I think, in bouldering. And it sits on top of a promontory. There's not really any other boulders close to it, so the location is very scenic as well. So it is a dead horizontal 20-foot roof from deep in the back to the lip, and it traverses through a feature that looks like a surfboard suspended from the middle of the roof. Picture a surfboard attached you know, maybe a foot down from your ceiling. Yeah, I remember looking at that the first time when we went to it last spring and thought, wow, this is a beautiful climb. Yeah, it's breathtaking. I mean, this is Waco tanks, right? It's like one astonishing line after another there. You round the corner and your jaw drops. And then you round the next corner, it's an even crazier line. (laughs) (laughs) But even with those high standards, this roof is definitely a class of its own. There are jugs, there are slopers, there are crimps. There's even pockets at the very start. There are endless heel and toe hook possibilities. It's like a big roof. So there are three ways to exit. And the easiest is at V4. So I'm going to give one of those old school voiceover move by move descriptions. (laughs) A la a 90s climbing movie. (laughs) This is great. I'm, I'm here for it. So it starts in the back of the cave on two pockets for your hands. Bum, bum, and-, bum. <laughs> <laughs> and either a foot deep in the back or the Lynn Hill start, which is the heel hook on your next handhold. And then you go right hand boom to the line of jugs that trends into the surfboard feature. You swing your feet all the way over to toe down on the back edge of the surfboard. You shuffle your hands and feet and everyone does it differently such that eventually you're riding the surfboard, double heel hooks, hands on the rail on either side of the surfboard. And then you ride the surfboard until it ends. And then comes the crux. Bring your left hand to join the right one on one side of the surfboard. You turn the left heel into a toe. You position the right heel down on this little notch in the rail. Then you eye the next left hand crimp, dead point to it, then right hand up to a not so great sloper. Then you core up, keep tension as you move out in a sort of assisted front lever position into a right hand jug. So that's the crux move for me. Whew. I'm like sweaty just thinking about it. (laughs) Right, yeah, I need a chalk up now. (laughs) And you bring the left toe uh, to match the right heel and you flip the left hand from the crimp to the undercling. Then you go left hand to a far left Waco. It's kind of dynamic, but the hold is huge. It's a jug. You move the feet up and then your right hand matches the left hand. The right foot goes into the Waco where your right hand just was. And then you go right hand to the lip, left hand to the lip, right hand to the rail above the lip and then you top out on the chassis slab and you pull down not out because it's like really chassis up there that's exactly what you want to be thinking about after you've just done all (laughs) 75 of those previous moves yeah so in 2019 I did every move 
And it's one of those climbs where every move is accessible from the ground. So you can try each part of the climb separately. Love that. Mm-hmm. And the crux was that assisted front lever to the right hand jug. And the holds from which you're reaching are definitely the worst on the whole climb. The crimp and this kind of marginal crimp slash sloper. I'm really relying on my core or something to keep my butt up while I'm making that move. And I think people who are a little bit longer can also keep a left toe on the far side of the surfboard, but I could never do that. And every time I tried, I was like just too gassed at that point. So I fell from that position every time. Also, I was so psyched in 2019. There was a great group of people at the boulder during that session and the sea of pads under that roof, just the general supportive environment gave me such a positive impression that I really gave it all I had. And I promised to come back when I was stronger and better at roof climbing to send it. And that was November 2019. And COVID happened. (laughs) And I wasn't able to come back in all of 2020. And I finally came back in 2021 with you, Cynthia. Oh, in April 2021, we went there. And I think we were blessed to be guided by Albert. And instead of a big group, it was just as gals and Albert. <laughs> oh, Albert. Yeah. And, you know, we got the chance to really workshop every part of it. And especially the crux. Albert is such a master beta giver. He pointed out the Lynn Hill start, you know, the heel hook start, which makes the opening move so much better, so much easier. And then Albert also told me that I could scum my toe off of the toe hook and just hover it against the roof as a sort of counterweight while I was doing the right hand reach for the crux move. And I remember he kept telling me to tighten my core as if I were holding in a fart. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember that, Cynthia? I remember. (laughs) Yeah, just squeeze the butt. Yeah. (laughs) And we both gave it some super solid goes, but I still wasn't able to keep my butt up far enough to pull it off and I could literally feel my butt sagging every time I got into that position little saggy butt Morgan (laughs) (laughs) that's what we call you yeah (laughs) I had to walk away from the climb in April 2021 feeling pretty defeated round two moonshine roof one again (laughs) a year and a half since the last time I had gone there and I still wasn't strong enough But you had made some progress, if I remember, right? Like, you said that you had done every move in 2019, but you made a lot of connections that spring when we went. Yeah, you're right. Now that I think about it, I definitely was able to link more of it last spring than in 2019. I guess that just inspired me to come back for it one more time. Third time's a charm. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So December 2021, round three, I came back with Albert. And it was the first day of a four-day trip, and I was intimidated. It had only been eight months or so since the last time I'd been back there, so how much better could I really have become? What if I wasn't strong enough again? I was really scared. But there was another woman on the tour with me that day, Mo Kudola. She's an amazing climber, and she actually became something of a role model for me. She tried Moonshine Root for the first time on that tour, and I think she sent it on her second go. Oof, real strong then. Right, yeah. And then I tried it, and I fell in the same spot. And then I was like, okay, well, you know, just got to keep workshopping it. And if I don't get it today, I can still come back on the subsequent days of this 
trip and actually send it. And I tried the crux in isolation. Albert told me to really sit on the right heel. That time it felt a lot better and I was able to do that crux in isolation. So the next go, I got to the same spot and I visualized sitting on my right heel as if my butt were to literally like sit on my haunches. And then I hovered for the right hand reach and I made it to the jug. Then I caught the left undercling. I was pretty gassed by this time. And the next move is the dynamic move to the huge Waco on the left hand. And, you know, I'm starting to doubt myself. My left hand felt pretty weak, but I knew I had to try. So I shifted my body slightly to the left, lined it up with the left undercling. And then I swung my right hand over to the huge hold where normally I would use my left hand. My body swung perilously. But the hold is, as I keep saying, huge. So I was able to stay on. And then Albert said, unconventional beta, but keep going. I was like, (laughs) yes, I'm hearing, you know, words from my master. (laughs) (laughs) So then I brought my left hand up to match. And then at that point, I knew I'd be able to finish it. Mo and Albert were saying, come on, and you can do it. And I knew I had it in me. And I got to the lip, I threw a high heel, and I was on the slab, and I had sent it. Oh. Wow, I was on the edge of my seat. (laughs) The story is not over, though, because I came back to Moonshine Roof on days three and four of my four-day trip, and I climbed four days on, so my skin was shredded. (laughs) I was, like, waxing every single day. (laughs) But I came back to Moonshine Roof with uh, a few other climbers, and Mo also came for one more day. And on those two days, I tried Moonshine Roof right which is a V5 that exits the roof in a more direct line. The end is also different because it's fucking spicy. You have to hold the lip while your feet cut completely from like deep in the roof. And your aim is to reposition your foot to a heel. You know, moonshine roof, you can kind of keep your feet on the roof the whole time. But this one, I feel like a lot of people cut at the lip. And this one is definitely still a work in progress for me. I I love it, though, and I intend to come back for it because the movement is amazing. And I feel like I really unlocked some beta between my first and second day working on it. Whoa. And I think it's, well, I guess it's kind of the ideal project because you build on what you've learned and you get these hits of dopamine, like you get these successes in progress, not just at the end. You can do Moonshine Roof, the V4 version, and then you already have half of the V5 version under your belt. And then it's just a lot easier to move on to the logical extension and do the V5 version. So yeah, I intend to keep coming back to Moonshine Roof for many years to come. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like it's a gold mine. It's the roof that keeps on giving. (laughs) And while I was there, I... Well, my guide was working on a link up of the V4, the V5, and the V6 version. So you can really make whatever you want to out of this roof. I can't even imagine what that would look like. (laughs) It's, It's like he climbs to the lip of the V4, he climbs back, he climbs to the lip of the V5, and then he climbs back, and then he climbs out of the V6. What? That doesn't make any sense at all. But man, the stamina. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, I hope that I'm there for your next. Oh my God! Yeah, we gotta go. We gotta go together. Yeah, because I haven't sent the four. So 
Yeah, let's go. You're, you're going to send it for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I know you also have a story of Ascend in Ten Sleep that I wasn't there for, so I'm really curious to hear about it for the first time. Yeah, so my story is about this route called Trippin' Balls, which is a stupid name. This is 511B, located in Ten Sleep, Wyoming. But a bit of context before I get into it. I had just come back from this epic boulder heavy road trip with my main tease. That would be you. <laughs> So that was like, what, May 2021 when we got mm-hmm. back to New York? Basically, the weekend after we got back to New York, I sublexed my shoulder, my left shoulder, when I was climbing in Massachusetts. And I had spent basically like an entire month waving resistance bands around the gym, <laughs> <laughs> as we talked about in mm-hmm. our injury episode <laughs> a couple weeks back. I had taken a trip to Rumney just after sort of healing from that shoulder injury event. And that went pretty okay. You know, I'd say like that was a pretty successful trip, especially for coming off of an injury. And then June came around and it was time for me to leave New York. My main trajectory was to Vancouver to come meet my future husband. (laughs) Not for the first time. Not for the first time, but (laughs) kind of. (laughs) Just a 90-day fiancé. Uh-huh. Um, and before, uh, I took a couple pit stops, the first one being in Colorado. I have a friend who lives in Estes Park at the time. And Nicole, our very good friend, happened to be in the area. So he accompanied me on the back half of my road trip from New York to Vancouver. And when we stopped in Estes, we decided to do some climbing with our friend Jake. And he took us up the most grueling and horrific alpine (laughs) multi-pitch that was summiting to Hallett Peak in Estes. It's too soon, though. I can't think about it right now. Yeah, maybe we can do a variation (laughs) where the story is, like, traumatic, you know? (laughs) So, yeah, so we had just done this heinous climb, and I was honestly not feeling super psyched about route climbing, like, sport (laughs) at the moment. But we needed to find one more spot to stop between Colorado and Seattle, where I was going to drop Nicole off. There's some options, certainly, between the two areas, but the one that we felt maybe made the most sense in terms of like location was Tent Sleep. And Tent Sleep is home to an enormous limestone canyon, and it's all sport climbing. I had never climbed any limestone before, didn't really even know what to expect when we got there. But Jake had a guidebook that he was very gracious to lend us, so we decided we were going to do it. And of course, at that time, you know, I'm also not that psyched on sport, just in general, not only because of the alpine multi-pitch that we just did, but in general, I'm very afraid. And my shoulder, like it was, you know, a lot of things kind of combining to make me not really like sport climbing at this moment. <laughs> but, you know, necessity called. <laughs> and the kill. <laughs> and the kill. The kill definitely was more psyched on sport than I was at the time. And he was doing me a favor by sharing the, the road trip with me. So we did the thing. Sacrifices must be made. <laughs> 
So we get to Wyoming the next morning. We wake up and that day was sort of a practice of like acclimating to this new kind of climbing. So again, you know, I'd never climbed limestone before and it is super smooth, basically like untextured. The feet are like glass. It's like climbing at one of those really old climbing gyms and they haven't updated the holds in like 15 years or something. (laughs) And just everything is like incredibly polished, which is good for your skin. I'm sure it means that you can climb there for a long time. Four days on would be no big deal, I think, in intense sleep Mm -hmm. in terms of your skin. But, you know, we didn't know that at the time. So we try to get, you know, a relatively early start. Not like crazy early because we're not car number one or anything. But like... (laughs) You know, we get like a pretty early start and we get out there. We go to this crag called Valhalla. It was recommended to us by one of the bartenders at the hostel that we were staying at. We found out very quickly that it is impossible to climb when the sun is shining on the rock, especially in June, which is when we were visiting it. Uh-huh. Like it's way hot and the, the rock is just baking. At not 8 a.m.? At like 8 a.m., yeah. So like not only are you really sweaty because it's hot, but the rock is like fire. (laughs) Um, Limestone is really light colored. And so it it reflects everything. And it's just Oh, my God, it was it was so hot. So we we decided to take it really, really slow. We were getting like flash pumped on like 10 A's. So we were like, Okay, well, maybe today is just sort of a calibration day, we found a, a little bit of shade. And we decided to work our way up through the grades on this particular wall. So we started with the low tens. And by the time we made it up to the high tens, like the shade had moved to cover more of the wall. We were feeling a little bit more comfortable, but it was kind of nearing the end of the day when we started to hit 5.11s. I had never really climbed anything very hard in sport up until this point. When we went to Rumney just before this, we found a couple 11As that we were trying to project. But again, like my shoulder was kind of injured and I'm also very afraid of falling. (laughs) As was detailed in a previous episode. Oh, yes. (laughs) Per our last episode. Yeah. So I wasn't really expecting a whole lot, especially from this new rock that I was not super comfortable climbing. We get to the lowest 11 on this wall, which is Trippin' Balls 11B. We're like, you know, I don't know, like we're both kind of feeling like sort of hesitant about even starting the climb just because of the grade really and our previous experience of the day. But we were like, okay, you know, we still got a couple hours left before the sun sets. We should do it. We should try. What's the worst that could happen? (laughs) I think I went first and I make it like two or three bolts up. I hit the first crux and just can't figure it out. And I come down. Hmm. Um, I'm like, okay, well, Nikhil, you go. (laughs) So then he goes up. And again, he hits the first crux and can't figure it out either. It seems there's two different options that you can go. There's a direct straight up route, which goes over a lot of like these teeny tiny, very smooth crimps. And neither one of us felt like we were strong enough for those at the moment. So the other option is to go out left. And it's a really big move to a pretty good shelf, but you don't have very good feet to do it. And especially since it's on the left, I was feeling pretty uncomfortable with my shoulder, even just trying the move. We were having some trouble. So Nico came down and like, okay, now it's like, we got to get our gear what do we do? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You're committed. Yeah, we are committed here. So I go up again. And I don't know how, but I figured it out. I figured out how to go left without injuring my shoulder. 
I I can't remember if I end up doing the rest of the route, probably like taking a, a couple rests until the end or if like maybe I got tired or something and came down before. But I ended up getting the crux, but not really sure if I could do it again. And certainly not even thinking that doing it all in one go would be a possibility. But Nick Hill tries it and he gets the crux because he's a long boy and those are his his kind of move. And taking a couple of rests, you know, after the crux and then he comes down thinking like, I think I can do this. I'm like, all right, well, let's do it then. <laughs> so we end up taking a couple turns, giving it a go and trying to send it without falling and without taking. Eventually, Nick Hill sends it. And it was incredible. It was so good to see him try because, you know, he's also got this very big fear of falling. But it was amazing to see him succeed at this thing that we had been working on together. And then it was... Stoke is at an all-time high. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so he comes down, you know, reeling off of the send and is like, do you want to give it a go? And I'm like, well, on the one hand... I do want to send this because you sent this and now that means I need to send it. (laughs) Um, On the other hand, I'm feeling a lot of pressure because now you've sent it. So (laughs) what if I don't send it? Well, you know, I'm trying to like trivialize, like, okay, this is no big deal. If I don't send it, whatever, it doesn't matter. So I try again and I'm pretty sure I failed. So I come down thinking like, ah, Okay, well, that is what it is. That's all that, that, that there is. And Nikhil's like, no, I think maybe you should try it again, as long as your shoulder's okay. But I think you should try it again. So we took a long rest. I ate a snack. Mm-hmm. Got to replenish the carbs. Exactly. And I tried to visualize myself going through each move. And even in the parts where I'm feeling pumped to continue on until you get to the anchors. And at the anchors is like a bit of a rest, you know. Luckily, there's some good clipping jugs up there. <laughs> So I thought, okay, I'm going to give it one more go. If I don't get it, it doesn't matter. The sun's going down. We should head out. But I'm just going to give it one more go. And it happened. (laughs) Wow. Did you rest for a really long time before that last go? I think I rested for probably like 20 to 25 minutes. And I think that that made all the difference. You know, I felt a little bad about, you know, making Nick Hill wait for me. But he was, he's happy as a clam. He did his big thing of the day. I think having the encouragement of Nikhil, like a good belay partner, and allowing myself the rest I needed and the whatever, all of the things that needed to happen made me feel ready, prepared to go get this thing. I chose this climb because this was the very first time that I have felt this sort of motivation on sport. During my Sengo, I didn't feel scared of falling. I was focused so heavily on the climb and the moves and just making it one more, one more, one more that I didn't think about falling so much. And it sort of felt like it was a turning point for me. I thought I was not a sport climber. I'm never going to be a sport climber. This is just going to be a thing that I have to suffer through for my friend's sake. But in this moment, I was like, oh, I can kind of see why people like this. (laughs) Yeah. Starts the positive feedback loop turning. Exactly. Yeah. And I realized too, that we sent this in less than a day at this new crag on this new rock after having already climbed a bunch earlier. What else can we do if we can do this? And now you're a real sport climber. Now I'm a real sport climber. Yeah. I'm uh, just bagging these 11 Bs left and right. That's not true. Uh, (laughs) 
Yeah, but it did make me very encouraged for my future in sport climbing, uh, especially too because I knew that Jamie is predominantly a sport climber. Really loves this discipline of climbing, and I was feeling kind of nervous. That like, oh man, I'm not going to be able to keep up, or I'm not going to enjoy half the days that we go climbing together. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was it was really encouraging. Wow. Yeah. What a great day. What a great time at Tensley. Yeah, Tensleep, there is something magical about the place. I love it. I think the people there are really cool. The climbing was really fun. I would love to go back. I'd love to take you with me too. I know that you are coming now to think of sport climbing as a, a an enjoyable thing. <laughs> a viable activity. Right. But I think that you would really like Tensleep and the vibe and just everything around there. I want to go there with you. Yeah, we'll do it. And the guidebook is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure that when they put together the guidebook, they were on drugs of some kind or many kinds. (laughs) There's this one version of the guidebook that comes with 3D spectacles. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's like what I love about climbing. I mean, I love these opportunities to tell stories, you know, and I I love sharing experiences with someone else. Yeah, yeah. It's such a bond. Anytime you meet a climber and it doesn't matter where they're from, most likely you'll be able to spend the next hour talking about climbing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That like process of thinking, can I do this? Working on it, struggling on something and then doing it is such a an amazing experience. I wish I could share it, but I think you just have to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's really like the thought process and the, the achievement. Like, I think that it's bled into a lot of other different parts of my life, you know, thinking like, well, these might be my expectations, but I've already surpassed my expectations so many times. Let's just give it a go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a good sport. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that people have all kinds of relatively, you know, middle of the pack climbs, but that they still remember and that hold a special place in their heart. Yeah. If any of our listeners want to share some of their stories, we'd love to hear them. Yeah. So you can contact us on email or Instagram, Spotify, all those places where you contact us. We love hearing your messages. Yeah, we've gotten a few responses in the last couple. Incredible. Uh, yeah, so super fun. Uh, we'll have to do shout outs or something one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So join us next time. On Crack, Crack Confessions. Confessions. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're getting worse yeah. every time. <laughs> <laughs>